What's up, what's up? Another week, another podcast. This is your favorite football podcast, The Football Academy. I'm here to tonight with Braden and Will. How's it going, guys? I am ready to uh, put a bow in this weekend, get it over with, and let's not talk about it anymore. Well, not great. Um, I feel the same way Braden does. I just want to talk about it, get it over with, put it in the past, get that rear view going. Uh, so, yeah, let's uh, let's, 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 let's do it. God. All right. I mean, for any listeners who are kind of stunned as to what is going on, I'm going to hand it over to Braden, who can give you a detailed rundown of what happened in this weekend's betting. Yeah. So uh, every week we get a thousand pod bucks uh, for the 10 games, uh, which breaks down to a hundred pod bucks per match for us to distribute. However, we like on the three-way money line. Uh, so no spreads, uh, no over-unders, just a three-way money line on that. And uh, we kind of tally it up and see how we all do. And this week, uh, it was not good. Will and Sapoon tied with zero picks correct. <laughs> um, not great. I got two, which was a $50 bet on a minus 450 favorite in Liverpool and $100 on Spurs um, at minus 165. Also very, very poor for a total of... 223.61 on a 1000 pod buck outlay. Uh, just a lot of carnage uh, around the EPL this week and a lot of unexpected results. And uh, we'll get into it shortly. Um, for the season so far, uh, we're doing a little bit better than that. Um, uh, Sapoon's return 5107 24 on 5800. Uh, Will's returned uh, 5674 or 70. Excuse me, $56.97 and 40 cents. And I've returned 67.78.72 on 5,800. So it, better overall for the season. Uh, there'll be better weeks ahead. This was just a lot of ugliness that we'll get into here shortly. Absolutely. And we are going to get into the thick of things straight away. Again, we all seemed very confident in picking Aston Villa. And we all got it wrong. And Leeds United kind of proved us wrong in just the way they came out and approached this game. Aston Villa seemed a lot like what they did last season. Braden, what were your initial thoughts on uh, seeing what happened? I, I was really impressed by Leeds in this match. Uh, I think they just kind of took it to Villa from the start. And Villa didn't really have any answers. They had a couple chances in there. Um, you know, they could have taken one of them and, and maybe it is a little more interesting, but you know, I, I, I won't bury the lead anymore. Like we got to talk about Patrick Bamford scoring three. Like that's, uh, that is not something I thought his season outlay might be close to three to five or so. Like it's, it's really impressive game for him and he's been a really good uh, striker for leads. Uh, so far this year. And, and, I, and honestly, I thought Rodrigo was going to come in and immediately, bench him but he's he's been really good so far yeah that's like we can't bury the lead because it wasn't just that he scored three goals that he scored three excellent goals and the guy has been very very hot so far this season um i like that's really the thing i took away from this match i don't think villa necessarily had a bad performance i just think leads outclassed the hell out of them and like i we expected Villa to keep flying high and kind of play the brand of they don't have a brand of football yet, but like we expect them to come out swinging against a team who they thought they could stand with. Leeds just have class above them, and Villa will have better days ahead. But Leeds look a proper team, and Patrick Bamford is about to go on one of those Jamie Vardy dream runs where he scores way too many goals and ends up in the golden boot conversation because there's a dude like that every season. It's Danny Ings, Jamie Vardy. Patrick Bamford for 30, I guess. I can't co-sign that. I, I think I think Bamford is more likely to be this year's Timo Pukki than uh, previous year's Jamie Vardy. All cops. All cops. <laughs> I mean, leave it to Will for hyping up a dude after one weekend. But uh, I will say this. moving uh, Going into this game, there were a lot of question marks about Leeds United, especially with the injury to Calvin Phillips. And they kind of made a mistake early on. And you saw that with the first half substitution that Bielsa made. And it was an instant impact. And like 
Villa had no answer. And for what it's worth, like, yes, we can say that Villa is going to come back and whatnot. This looked like old Aston Villa. It looked like, you know, the Ollie Watkins, the Ross Barkley's, the new signing impact that you have after a couple of games kind of went away. And it was just like, well, Grealish, like, you got to do more. And I think it's, I know I'm being a bit harsh on a team like Aston Villa against a team like Leeds. But again, they were saved by a point and it's a team that just came in. So at the end of the day, like I expected a lot more from Aston Villa and it's just not there. And we shall see if this um, early season form is going to stick with them. Moving on to the next game, a game that I think a lot of us didn't quite see coming in terms of the result. But a lot of us did have skepticism of Manchester City when they took on David Moyes and West Ham United. West Ham keep being the giant killers of this season, kind of another point against a big six team that are supposed the tribal favorites. Man City, another team that they cannot put away this season. And Will, I'm going to come to you first. What do you think is going on with Manchester City and where uh, should we begin with West Ham United? Starting with this match, if you want to start with West Ham, we got to talk about Antonio's goal because that was... It was a bit of quality from a guy who we talked about quite a bit last season. So it was always nice to see when the team has time to create, they can and they can make like they can find the space and they can do it when they're allowed time. That's any good football team should be able to do that. The thing is, is City gave them that time by, again, being kind of shallow defensively. They looked more confident and they kind of looked a proper City team. But when you're making Fabianski look like actual Jesus out there, there's got to be something said about what's happening going forward. That being said about City, Phil Foden looks a proper player. And at this point in where City is going and what what I think their expectancy is, I think there should be more playing time for him because I don't think this City team is going to get to the heights that we think they are. So why not give the homeboy a chance to go out there and try this stuff and, you know, create something of your own since you can't seem to do that, I guess. Yeah. So I'll also talk about Antonio's goal uh, first. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of Antonio has gotten a lot of credit, I think for being a very uh, gifted athlete and being very strong and fast and, and all the kind of things that are obvious when you look at him, he, he, he kind of reminds you a little bit of Adama Traore in the way that he uh, can run at people and physically outmuscle them. Uh, but, you know, there he just provided a little bit of technique, and that's all it kind of needed is just a little bit of desire to to flick it and get to the ball first and, you know, put it on net, and, you know, it, it went in because I don't think Ederson was expecting that, and there it was. City, this is another pretty lackluster performance from them. You know, a lot of times we've looked at City and kind of said this year seems different in that they're not really dominating teams XG wise. So before you would see it, you know, if it was a shock result for City, it would be City 3 XG, the other team like 0.4. And you're just like, well, that's just kind of whatever happened. And you move along it'll be different next week. And that's just not really happening. I mean, City scored a goal, but it is on 0.89 XG. Like they are just not the offensive uh, team that they've been in the past. And we've maybe that's De Bruyne comes back when, when he's back and fully fit. Maybe this team completely changes. Maybe the same for Aguero when he's uh, fully fit. It's, it all works out. But Right now, this city team just doesn't inspire much in me. I think that's a fair, fair comment. I I do tend to agree more with what you said later on in terms of the Agueros and De Bruyne's, you know, kind of getting into the thick of things. Because again, you have to remember these teams are so different in terms of their preparations to the season. Because especially with Man City and their injuries, I think it's going to look more and more disjointed. And we will see how Pep uh, kind of brings the team together and moves them forward. But West Ham, I guess you have to take that result. I think Declan Rice deserves a lot of credit. And I think there there are a couple of teams we're going to talk about in the future that should look at him as regardless of the price, you need to go get him in January because that kid can sort your defensive mid position out for like a good decade. 
from the way he has been playing. So I'll give him props. As far as Phil Foden goes, I think his problem is very unique in a Manchester City team because when your team is not doing well and you're the creative player, it's hard on you because you are the player who has to kind of deliver. You know, the Rashfords have gone through it. Sterling had to go through it. And you're seeing Foden as a player who can play, but at the same time, if you're Pep Guardiola, you need a goal. Would you rather send Foden out there or would you rather send like a Bernardo Silva? Because I think experience in these situations matter a lot. So that's why Foden's playing time isn't what everybody wants it to be. But I do think moving forward, Foden is going to be an integral part if the City team stabilizes. I would agree with that. And I think that you could see Foden maybe not getting consistent starts, but getting consistent like 25, 30 minutes in games. Because I do think, uh, to Will's point, I think he's too good to just be on the bench and, and not really play. Like He does need to get more experience. He does need to come on. He can make a difference in matches. Uh, but... I do think you're right that maybe um, once everyone gets back, maybe I think Pep leans a little bit more on his experience. There, the team showed a little bit more of a spark after he came on uh, in the second half than I thought they were going to. So if he can have that little bit of like energy that he brings to the team, maybe bring him on a little bit sooner. I don't think he's going to get many starts because of the list of people in front of him. But if he adds that much, Add it as much as you can because you don't have much going. You don't have much going right for you. Interject that energy where you can if you want your team to do good. I don't want you to, but it's fine. Fair enough. We shall see what happens with Phil Foden and company moving forward. But moving on to the next game, a team that seemed to be very much in line to be one of the worst teams in the Premier League this year, Fulham taking on Crystal Palace. 2-1 win, a uh, scoreline I don't think would necessarily mean a whole lot, but given that the second go- the goal for Fulham came at the very, very end of the game, basically taking away clean sheet bonuses for everybody's fantasy Premier League teams. I think, an- I mean, another Crystal Palace performance that I you kind of expect from them, and when they can counter on you, having 35% of the possession and be lethal enough to get two goals you're going to be uh, in trouble and Fulham just didn't seem to have an answer. So, I mean, we've made a lot of jokes about like kick the ball to Zaha is Crystal Palace's only route. Uh, but I think this is a situation where it works. Like Zaha is clearly, in my opinion, a uh, top six, maybe top four type talent. And he's playing on a Crystal Palace team that, you know, lots they invite a lot of pressure on them like they don't want the ball they like they're happy to let Fulham dominate the game which is kind of what Fulham want to do anyways and then just once once they turn the ball over the ball goes to Zaha and all of a sudden you look at the Fulham back line and you just you don't see anyone who even looks remotely capable of dealing with uh, Zaha in, in space and that was the story of the game, in my opinion. Like, they consistently exploited Zaha. If he wasn't scoring, he was setting it up. Like, it, it was very dangerous um, from Zaha all the way around this game. And, you know, Palace may struggle against teams that can match up a little bit better with Zaha. But I, for right now, they're going to continue to crank out results with this, I think. It's, Zaha seems more engaged than he has in the past couple seasons. Like, he seems like he kind of like he's just like, well, sh- shit, if I'm here, I'm just going to be here. And it makes this Crystal Palace team tick. I Y'all know I want to hate them the most because I continue to talk shit. But, like, these are the games they should be winning, and this is a game that they kind of went out and comprehensively won. They played Fulham off the park, and full credit to them. It is Fulham, and they are not very – they're not good at all. However, Crystal Palace showed a little bit of panache. So I'm going to lay off the hate for this week. And Zaha looked a proper player. Um, and again, I love games like this because when you look at the scoreline, you go, oh, well, I think they were close. No, they weren't close at all. Fulham just got some garbage, some some hot butt trash, as I like to call it, goal, uh, and made the scoreline look a little bit more even than it was. Palace went ahead and bossed this game. And they're probably going to finish in the middle of the table just bossing the other people below them around. So fair play, I guess. Good job, Roy. 
the only thing I'll add to that is I genuinely, I just personally don't like the idea of being like somebody who is more engaged now. I just think Crystal Palace have a better, better team than what they had before with the signings that they have made. I think that's what's made uh, Zaha look a bit more competent than he did previously. But anyway, good job, Crystal Palace, a team that is going to be a thorn on a lot of uh, big teams' sides, uh, big teams' fixture lists coming up, and a team that has been a thorn for Manchester United throughout this Premier League era were Chelsea Football Club who came to Old Trafford and everybody expected goals. Everybody expected a lot from this game, except for two teams keeping clean sheets. That is something none of us saw coming. That is what ended up happening. A nil-nil draw. And I have a lot of thoughts with the way the post-match has gone and the narratives that have been built and how what my thoughts of the game actually were. I'm going to come to you, Braden, first, and then the will. What were your thoughts on both the managers, the way the game went? And uh, what did you make of it? I thought the match overall was a pretty, I don't want to say boring because there's a boring match that we'll talk about later. Uh, that was definitely worse than this one. Uh, but there was a lot of, I don't know, like there were some interesting things that happened in here. So obviously the VAR uh, non-check for Harry Maguire in the box, I, I think was Pretty clearly wrong, but, uh, you know, I think that's just what we have with VAR these days is it's just not very good. And, you know, Mindy looks like a proper keeper uh, for Chelsea, and that's a massive improvement on Kepa. And the saves that he made to keep it nil-nil were really important for Chelsea in this match because I think United were just barely better than Chelsea in this game overall. I think that... If Chelsea had gotten that pen, uh, they would have really escaped with uh, with a win. But I, I think United were just barely better. But I think both teams were pretty poor overall. The penalty, I understand how it could be given, and I can understand how it could not be given. I'm going to say this a little bit later on, and I'm not going to make too many bones about it in this part or in the next part. Consistency. When it comes to checks like that, just consistency. Everything needs to be black and white. And we should agree upon what's black and what's white because right now it's all gray and it makes things a little bit more difficult than it needs to be. Um, as far as what I saw from the game for me, having this be the appointment viewing match, it felt like two teams who had firepower up front, but knew they had nothing going on in the back who went, Oh God, we don't want to ship four goals to each other. And they just kind of played neutrally. It was two teams who kind of went, I'm like two managers who are kind of fearful, two teams who are fearful for their managers because I feel like these teams both like them and they both kind of just went, you know what? I don't want to fuck up homeboy's job. Let's just chill. And it wasn't boring. It was a match that happened. It was not what I expected from this match. And I don't know if I'm necessarily upset about it. It's just, it looked very tepid. And I don't know what. So, Sapoon, before you go, uh, I'd like to get your opinion on one specific thing, uh, which is I don't understand the Juan Mata uh, start here. Uh, do you have thoughts on that? Like, what what was your thought when when you saw the team sheet? I, I think Juan Mata started because Cavani, Greenwood, and Martial was suspended, so Cavani and Greenwood couldn't start. Uh, like, I think that is the reason Mata and James both started because I think when I look at the team, it wasn't necessarily built to make, take advantage of what Mata really is good at. But at the same time, we just didn't have an option outside of Mata to like really depend on to be like, Hey, if you needed, you might need to play 90 minutes. And I don't think Mason was at that level. And again, you have to remember Martial was suspended for the game. So that kind of curtails what um, the selection options that were there for Manchester United. And having said that, I guess spending the 250 million kind of wiped out the four nil advantage we had from last season, right? Like that's how I looked at this. And I think there should be a lot more criticism of Lampard because at the end of the day, he went there like six shots, one on target 
I don't remember the hair necessarily needing to make a wild save. On I think Maguire kind of responded on social media today with a picture of him absolutely getting like muscled by uh, Reese James. And I think that's that was him kind of basically saying, yo, this happens every single corner. And if you are going to make an example of me being like, that should have been a penalty, then these are also opportunities where you need to give a penalty. I think, and again, as Will said, consistency, I think the reason is if you start giving those every single corner, you're going to have a penalty, whether it's intended or not, it's going to look like that. Well, so you'll have a corner, you'll have a penalty every single corner until people understand that it's going to be a penalty and then they stop. Right. Like that's part of where consistency comes from is like, is just knowing that, yeah, if I do this, I'm going to get a penalty called. I, I think that you touch on something that's very accurate here, which is that I don't always understand English refereeing when it comes to penalties because it feels like very small touches in open play are ruled penalties. And then if it's a dead ball, you can do whatever you want to someone. And it, it seems to just be a, a no call play on, uh, which is odd to me. But, you know, I, I, you're at the end, you're right. Like this happens every single time in the box. And unless they start doing something about it, it's never going to change. There's there's always a lot of hodgy podgy going on in the box in England specifically that never like never gets talked about or like seen that. I've always wondered what like it. I guess it's what makes the game more brusque and more physical in England is that you get inside the box on a dead ball situation and it's all sorts of jostling and things like that. But like consistency, like, like you said, if you I mean, okay, to, well, define when was the last time you saw a penalty like that given? Never. That's the thing. Like so that's isn't that consistency. <laughs> You're consistently not going to get that penalty. No matter what the fuck you say. That is fair. However, if that's a thing that people want to cry about, which I don't necessarily agree with, then it needs to... What you literally said, just did. Be, you literally I mean, said, cried about it in your analysis. Like, and again, my problem is, I think a lot of this game, you had to watch the 90 minutes of it and kind of had to come in with the background of where Chelsea and United were to understand what both the teams tried to do. And again, like, I think if that's Kepa, that's United scoring three goals because of Mendy made some spectacular saves. And e- even if you give that penalty, I don't think if there are goals in this game, the quality gets any better. I, I was thoroughly disappointed with what Kai Havertz did with what Timo Werner did. And I think there needs to be, everybody's looking at United being like, you didn't go score a goal. Like, yo, what was Timo Warner signed for getting in behind defenders and being the guy with the pace? You can't beat Harry Maguire and Lindelof. Yeah, that's a really fair yeah. point. <laughs> like, so I I think that, like there are valid criticisms of both managers after this game. I just think everybody just missed the complete idea of what it should have been. And everyone's like, oh, it wasn't entertaining and such. And I just think from where these two teams came from, and especially midweek games, I think PSG away from Manchester United and um, Sevilla at home for Chelsea. I just think these two are two young teams. And uh, for those who really want to get into it, go listen to Evra and Hasselbacks kind of going back and forth about the game. But I just think you have to be really naive and not understand football to be like, yo, one of these managers needs to take the onus and uh, change something. Because the next game we are going to talk about was a manager who's trying to change things because of a season ending injury to Virgil van Dijk in a Liverpool football club who scraped through to a uh, 2-1 win. I think Diogo Jota finally uh, coming into his own zone, being a very, very good player that he is, and everybody knows he's capable of being. Liverpool still not convincing. I guess it's good for them that they played one of the worst teams in the league. Sad to say that, but Sheffield United looks like that relegation-threatened team. But Liverpool, three points for them. Will? I guess you'll take the three points and just move on to the next Champions League game. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's that's really what this was. It was just a we need to win, we need to feel good. Uh, I can say having Allison back between the post makes me feel safer about this team already. Uh, I feel like he, ha- I feel like the team has more confidence in him than they do 
Adrian, which every human being should. So it seems a little bit safer, a little bit less scary than it did before. Fabinho, I, I you know, I want to talk about the, the penalty shout, but in the end, it doesn't actually matter, which is kind of how I had to deal with it for the rest of the week. He won the ball. Like, he won the ball, and he did make contact with the player, and I get it, but, like... Winning the ball is not the description of whether or not it's a penalty or a foul, by the way. But if you have the option to go back and see that he, like... I know that it's not the letter of, like, it's not officially what the rule is, but, like, that's how it's been called forever. And that's how it's called when it's, like, if you have the opportunity to go back and check, go back and check, and they did, and I feel like they got it wrong. Because it went because it went went against Liverpool. No, if again, if the same call was called for somebody else, I'd say bullshit. I say bullshit every time it is a bullshit VAR call. This felt like bullshit. It doesn't matter that it was us. It's just bullshit either way. With that being said, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't fucking matter because, and this is where I turn the tide. Liverpool played a decent game. I love that Jota scored. Sheffield. They look like Norwich. They get you Norwich from last season. They get you real excited and they get you like up in your feels, feel like they're going to do great because they look like they have some promise going forward. No one can put it into the back of the net. And that's the problem with the team right now. Liverpool are going to win this match regardless because Sheffield don't have teeth. They had promise in the first, in, in most of the parts of this match, they look like they could have gone on one. They just can't blouse the back of the onion bag. And that's going to be their undoing. Liverpool get to look class for a hot minute. Sheffield, you get a little bit worried about. I I think that's fair, especially when you talk about Sheffield. I, I think that they are a team that right now needs to find more production in their forward line. Like you understand why they went and got Ryan Brewster, even if I'm unconvinced that that's going to pan out. I understand why they identified that as an area that they need to improve on. And I, I think you're right. Well, like Sheffield scored a goal, but they scored a pen. Like it's, it, they didn't really create that much from open play. And I'm, I'm still quite concerned about them. Uh, Liverpool, I think, I, I think Liverpool did better than the two, one scoreline implies. I think they had, uh, uh, they had a goal disallowed for offside, correct decision. But I, I think it was a dangerous chance if they just timed that a little bit better as a goal. So I hit the post late. I like it's a, uh, they, Liverpool could have put up more than the two goals that they did. And I think that, you know, they're, they're a team that will have better results than, than this going forward. And I, I don't know. I, I thought it was a good win. You need to win two, one from time to time, right? Like three points is really the only thing that matters here. I think that's fair, and if that's the way uh, to look at Liverpool, I think they will definitely take those points as things currently stand. Anyway, that brings us to an end to the first segment of this podcast. We'll be back with more, many more games to go, especially the thrilling game at Burnley today. So we will cover that and a lot more. See you on the other side. What's up, guys? Back with the second segment of this podcast. We're going to get straight into it from the red side to the blue side of Merseyside. We are going to go with Everton taking on the Liverpool under 23s, AKA Southampton who did their senior team a favor by getting a two 0 result. I guess uh, some future transfers might be in order for Liverpool and Southampton to sort out, but it finally ended the run that Everton had had and not very Frequently, do you think Ancelotti got kind of outmanaged? And I think this was one of the games where without Richarlison, it really did seem like Dominic Calvert-Lewin was alone and couldn't really do a whole lot. And um, outside of that, I think this team took a step back and hopefully they'll be back into the thick of things as they were before this week's end results. Brayden, what did you make of uh, this uh, kind of stunning loss for Everton? Yeah, so we we talked about in the preview uh, show about how Everton would attack Southampton, and I I still feel that Everton did not really have any pace behind Southampton's high line, and I think that's kind of where this game was lost for Everton, or maybe not lost, but that's why they didn't score any goals and didn't really mount any consistent attack because I think 
Southampton were able to uh, pretty consistently uh, squeeze, com- compress the game into a smaller area. And I think Everton had a tough time playing out of that and couldn't use the space that, uh, you know, when you think of the teams that have done well against Southampton, uh, you have uh, Spurs that were playing, uh, King was just playing Son in behind to acres of space. Uh, Before um, Chelsea uh, gave it up late, it was Werner uh, exploring space behind the defensive line. And I think that you just, it concerns me a little bit about Everton because I think teams may look at this and kind of see it as a blueprint, at least until Richarlison comes back and possibly even when Richarlison is there because there's not a lot of breakaway pace on this team. There's guys like Awobi who has a little bit of pace but doesn't really have the quality. Uh, Richarlison's probably the closest guy to it. But beyond that, there's kind of not a whole lot of pace going forward for this Everton team. And I think that might cap their ceiling a little bit. Um, Southampton, it's a good win. I think that they played really well. They took their chances. Uh, XG says it was probably more even than the 2-0 scoreline implies. But I thought just from the eye test, I, I thought Southampton were pretty pretty much in control of this game from the start. So you know your boy was hyped to talk about this about that. Not waiting for this shit all fucking week. Um, the, the blueprint that Southampton exposed that you were talking about, Braden, um, go at the boy, Ben Godfrey. Most of Southampton's attack came straight through where he was defending and they made the most of it every single time. If that's the weakness, I'm putting it on the air so everyone can hear it. Attack Ben Godfrey because he's kind of weak. Like just go for it. Um, in addition to South or continuing to talk about Southampton, uh, Nathan Redmond is important going forward. He's more important going back. He does a very good job defensively, and that should be shouted out. I always talk about Danny Ings and the rest of the team. Just want to give him a shout out because he's very important going backward, going backwards, going back in defense. He is very stout back there, and he's also a threat going forward. Um, Everton miss Richarlison, but they also miss Seamus Coleman, and I think they may miss him a, a tidbit more. Um, also, if we have to talk about Everton, Hamez played that last couple minutes, not in the best of speed that he could be. Uh, and there's a little niggle. I don't know what the update is on him, but Angela, I did talk about him in the post-match presser. That would be a thing for me to worry about. Um, I'm just really impressed with Southampton because they came in with a plan and they executed it to perfection. Ralph Hassenhuntel made the great Carlo Ancelotti not look foolish, but he outplayed him on the day. Uh, y'all know I love my stats that are random and I just want to use. This is the first time since the 67-68 season that through six matches, no side is unbeaten. I don't know what happened in the end of that season because I didn't look it up because I was at work, but things are crazy right now. Well, this could be a good time for Southampton or a good time for Everton. I just don't know. This match blew my mind, and I'm really happy about it. So someone else talk about it now. <laughs> At the end of 1967-68, that's what you said, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the first team from England were crowned European champions. I fucking hate you. <laughs> ten, 10 years after the Busby Babes died. Uh, so... I'm glad you brought that year up. So hopefully that is what is about to happen. <laughs> I hate you know, my stats now. It, it to, you brought out your random stats. I thank you a lot and I shall take it on from here. I Damn will it. say this about uh, Southampton in general. I think the way they play in their high line, um, and I think I kind of referred to this in the pregame uh, preview as well, where I kind of talked about needing Allens and... Um, what's his name, James, playing the ball in behind and making sure like Dominic Calvert-Lewin can get in behind with his big body, even if it's just like over the top. And as you said, like they did not have the pace to exploit it. And I think other teams will come out and exploit Southampton, you know, like you saw with Timo Werner and others. I think it'll happen. But as far as Everton go, I don't, Godfrey is again a new signing. So I'm not really about to be like, Hey, he's Dayan Lovren. So like, just go after him. But 
I more so think that them as a team, they're finally kind of getting figured out. Because again, like it was a new team. Nobody had seen any preseason tape to be like, hey, what are they doing? And we shall see if like what the ceiling we talked about early on, because we kind of stayed level-headed in saying it's a possible like Europa League spot for them and maybe a backdoor into a Champions League spot. I think um, we shall, in a, before the next international break, uh, should find out if this team is really going to be up there because you have to bounce back from defeats and especially a defeat like that. You're going to see Ancelotti uh, rally the troops up and uh, go. But I do have a question. If James is out, how much do you think that affects what can happen? Because even if he misses a couple of games, I think that drastically changes what we think of Everton. I have to agree with that. I, I think he's a player who has really changed their attack. And you can just see the way that all of the play kind of goes through him when it goes to the final third and you bring up Seamus Coleman as well. I think that's a big loss and it's another guy who I wouldn't necessarily call him a creative player, but he's an outlet that can go and do something uh, for Everton and kind of put in the, the ball for Calvert Lewin that he wants. And I think with Everton missing some of those pieces, especially with uh, Dean suspended, I think that uh, it's, these next three games, I think, are going to be really, really interesting for Everton uh, because I I think plan A is going to be taken away and it's going to be up to Carlo Ancelotti to put a plan B together to see them through. Back-to-back red cards, too, by the way. Uh, something to keep an eye out on and how that affects them. Will, any final thoughts on your cr- cross-down rivals? The, I... Uh, for all the mad shit I'm on to talk, I am very, very intrigued just as a football fan to see how Ancelotti handles this. Um, it does seem like, I mean, I believe in Ancelotti as a manager and he's always been someone who I've held in high esteem. I just want to see how he logics his way out of this. If he can do it, fuck him. But it's going to be fun to watch either way. So, Hopefully the man can manage his ass off. All right. Uh, one quick vote. Both of you think it was a red card on Dina? Or do you think it was a bit harsh? I think it's a harsh red card, but I don't think it's the worst red card I've ever seen. It'd be harsh, but I'm okay with it. All right. Um, I'm going to leave that up for discussion because I think you can, as Braden said, not the worst red card I have seen given. Moving on to the next game. A game that I suspected uh, Wolves to kind of play down into their competition, and we keep talking about this ever since Wolves have Wolves have come out. We still don't kind of believe in Newcastle. I hope Braden, but uh, as far as Wolverhampton Wanderers go, I think this uh, result kind of shows you what they're capable of, and I think this season, because of how much uh, chaos there is, they'll stay in the hunt for Europe, but. Uh, this is why I think Wolves uh, have a spectacularly gaping hole between what everybody thinks they could achieve and what they really can achieve. Because I don't think a Champions League position is uh, around for them anytime soon. So I have to agree with that. And I think some of this is down to management of the team. Like I, One of the biggest difference makers in the league on this team in Adama Traore. And I, I don't understand leaving him to only play 20 minutes. Like I haven't seen anything that he wasn't fit or anything like that. I, I don't really understand that move. And you also have like John Moutinho. I know those legs are quite heavy at this point, but you feel like he could do something and put in good balls for, um, I have a question for you. Go ahead. And, and because you kind of like went in a direction that I was hoping you'd go to, do you think Wolves' biggest problem is, they have a lot of mediocre players, you know, who can come up with something special every now and then, but they don't really have that X factor to like put them above the edge, kind of like a Spurs with their hurricanes and Suns and stuff. Wolves still feel like behind Tottenham and the big six in that regard. And I think that's one of the bigger reasons uh, why. I mostly agree with that. And I do think, like, I do think that Traore, given the, given a more substantial role other than playing out on a wing 
and um, given more than 21 minutes, I think could be a little bit of that X factor that you see. But I, I, I think you're hundred percent right. Like, I don't know. It's necessarily mediocre players. Like I think Jimenez is a good player. Like I think he's a very good striker in this league. Um, I've liked what I've seen from Podence. I don't, we'll need to see it a little more consistently. Uh, but I think there's good players on this team, but I think you're right. Like making that extra step up. I don't see who on this team is going to do that. I can't argue with that. I, when, when presented with that fact, something I had never been presented before, cause you guys are so smart. Um, that makes a lot of sense to me. And that kind of tracks. I, I took something weird from this. So indulge me for a second. Y'all know I love the stupid stats. Um, Wolves have failed to score in the first half of uh, 58 of the last 82 games they've played, and that's the most in the Premier League. My entire thing with Wolves is that Wolves, in matches like this where they play laterally, like to leave it late. Like, it seems like a thing. Like, Wolves win, but they win from, like, 70 on. Like, Wolves need, for the team that they have, and it might be because they're missing pieces, they should go out and score early and, like, get this shit done beforehand. This Newcastle team showed up to defend and play shit football, and they got away with a, a really admittedly good free kick. Let's talk about that, too. Um, and they get undone by that. But this is a Wolves team who, like, can show up to play and on the day can be really good. If they just did their shit earlier, they'd be done. Like, Wolves can't... They don't... They objectively play well in the first half, but they don't score. If someone puts the ball in the back of the net in the first half, this Wolves team is a contender for something greater than what they are right now, which is just kind of sitting in the middle, being a team you want to be better. I don't know how you change that. Maybe it is adding someone who's a proven playmaker, and I could see that being the thing that gets them more first half goals, but that's something that I just had to point out. Like They don't close it out until late. And that's the problem with this Wolves team going forward. Got to score more earlier. So I think a lot of Wolves' success comes from uh, their coach and their ability to adjust to what their opponents do. And as a Manchester United fan, like I will tell you this, we have faced them almost every season more than just the two times you win the league. We have faced them over and over again, FA Cup, Carabao Cup, everything. And what they do is... In the second half, after they've like kind of played against your team, they know how to adjust. Ruben Neves, very smart player on the pitch. John Moutinho, very smart player. Raul Jimenez, for all the great goals he scores, again, a, a more cerebral player rather than just like, I'm going to do like 10 spectacular things physically to like score 10 goals. And on top of that, like you look around now, and you're like, Adama Traore is still not as consistent as you'd like him to be. Why doesn't he start? I don't know. Um, Podence, very, very good, talented player. Again, not a finished product, so not going to be a consistent goal scorer. And then you kind of run out of options. So I think that's the bigger problem. And in big games, it's okay because you can win 1-0, you can win 2-1. But in the smaller games, you need the quality to break down a team like Newcastle at the end of the day. Like, it took a spectacular goal from even Raul Jimenez um, to, you know, open the scoring. So it's not easy to break these teams down. And this is why, like, um, this is normal Premier League where the mid-table teams are not supposed to just, like, be able to separate from the lower uh, half of the team. So I think this is Premier League taking its toll. And as far as Wolverhampton Wanderers go... I don't know if that first half stat really matters because I think ultimately, as long as you have a W in your column, with your strengths being in adjusting, I think the fans and uh, Wolves are going to be perfectly fine without the first half goals. Braden? So to add to that, I think that uh, Wolves play in a style that very often leads them to more or less just try to stay in the game in the first half. Like They're trying to not lose it. They're trying to... Um, if, if they score a goal, it's great. If they don't, I don't think they're that fussed with it. They want to be in the match at halftime and then at halftime assess what's happened and then uh, go from there. And I think that you see a Wolves team that, you know, 
the the counterpart to that first half thing is I think that I don't I don't have the stat in front of me, so I don't know for sure. But I've seen uh, very consistent stats talk about the last 15 minutes of matches and Wolves are are very, very good at, at that point of the match. And so I think that that's a pretty I think that tells you what Wolves are trying to do. They want to stay in the game in the first half and the second match they want to go and and beat you. And I think you hit it something that's correct, Sapoon, in that that's kind of fine for the big teams that to just kind of nullify them in the first half and then try to go at them in the second. But when you get some of these smaller teams that you should be dominating, you really should just go and dominate them. Like that I thought we were, we might see something different this season because uh their first match of the year when I said uh oh they haven't played a match yet. Uh, Sheffield have. I, I think Sheffield will play with them. I Wolves came blew them away in the first 10 minutes of that match. And I thought, oh, maybe we're going to see something different from Wolves this year. And that's not how it's played out. I guess that's my main point is like, I we all know that Wolves can tactically take a team down after assessing the damage and everything like that. It's cool. That's how they play. At what point do you have to adjust that to be a bigger club because like if it's not working like if they can go out and dominate a club like that and then backtrack and try to play this i don't want to say cute because that sounds dismissive but play this very extra intelligent style of breaking a team down football when does that when is that not successful like it's not getting them over the hump right now because they're still having results like this for what we expect from this team when do you adjust to the adjustments and just go out and smash them, dudes? Because you have the capability to do that. Why are you trying to play cute? I think that's perfect because it brings it back to the first point that I made about this game, that Wolves kind of don't have the impact players. And uh, as long as they don't have that, they're not going to take the next step as much as we want them to. And I think it's very hard because they have to kind of sign them at a younger age. And you hope in two to three years they're going to work out. Because at the end of the day, like they had to fight to hold on to Raul Lemonez. If he had left this summer, I think we're having a complete different conversation about what uh, Wolves' potential is. So I think we will see how this team does again, a team that did not have preseason, um, but does not have European football also this year. So um, we shall see. Uh, I think Wolverhampton Wonders are definitely a team to keep an eye out on. Newcastle, these are games that they're going to kind of annoy you with, but I still don't think they're going to finish top 10 well. $75, baby, let's go! They're not finishing top 5. It's not happening. Oh, top 10. All the way, baby. I'm confident in how stupid I am. Let's go. All right. My therapist said I need my choices, so I'm going to do it. There we go. Somebody that was definitely confident in their choices were the three of us when Arsenal took on Leicester City. Very, I think kind of naive of us, but at the same time, none of us really expected uh, Jamie Vardy to play. Um, at least I did not. And once I saw he was named in the subs bench and with the way the game was going, I think there was one script. There was one actor who was going to play the final role and Jamie Vardy in a Jamie Vardy way. First shot on target for Leicester City, scores the goal, wins them the game. I mean, it's as Jamie Vardy as it gets. Uh, one of the things I want to mention is... I was very proud of Brendan Rodgers in this game because if he does this in 2014 against Chelsea, when he was the Liverpool manager, he plays the exact same way that he played this uh, Arsenal game. Liverpool won the title and we would have had a very different course of football. And he was naive back then, very childish as a manager at times. He showed to me in this game against Arsenal that he has matured he can do the right thing. He can go out there, grind out a result. So congratulations, Lester and uh, Braden. I'm sorry to have said all of that about Brendan Rodgers, but what were your thoughts on the game? Yeah, it's just, it's a lot of not good enough from Arsenal right now. Like I think that for all the, probably getting carried away a little bit with Arteta in the project restart, I think that he did a very solid job to, you know, make the FA Cup run and and kind of put together a style for the team that seemed to be um, working and progressing. I, I think he's. I think teams have adjusted to the style of 
we're going to put Aubameyang down the wing, link up with Saka, Tierney, whoever's there, and then um, and then cross in from there. And I, I think it's time to adjust from there. And I think that's going to be the next step from here because it it's just like there are four teams that have fewer shots on goal uh, or not shots on goal, just shots in general in the league this year. It's Newcastle palace, Burnley and West Brom and Burnley actually, since they played today may have passed Arsenal in, in this because uh, Burnley at that point had only played four matches to Arsenal six. So I I'm not sure about, about that as we record right now. So it's just, it's, it's not good enough in attack. And I think that, a lot of it is Arteta has focused on fixing the defense for Arsenal. And I think Arsenal's defense is a lot better than it was uh, previously, but it's, there's been a sacrifice like going forward. They're just not as good. And as something's got to give there, like they, they've got to figure something out. And I think that's, that's kind of telling this game. Arsenal had a lot of the possession. They just not able to put any consistent pressure on Leicester and it's kind of similar to um, the city match which can be forgiven a little bit because it's city but just even even when they're on top of the ball there's no consistent pressure from the team that makes you think that they're going to score and until that changes like there's a lot of there's a lot of I'm not sure what's going to fix this team um they're kind of crying out for someone to do what Mesut Ozil did when he was in his prime. Um, I, I don't think Mesut's that player anymore, but they you can see why they went after Alwar in the transfer window. And I think we might be going back in January to try to get that sorted. Um, but credit to Leicester, they kind of hung in there as much as they could and brought on Vardy to finish the one decent chance they had. When you when you bring on Jamie Vardy, you expect the goals to come a flowing, and thus they did. Um I I actually really liked what I saw from Partey and Tierney in this match. I don't they look bright. They look like they're going to be important going forward. Arsenal just couldn't I they have attacking threats. They just can't get it done attacking wise. And I feel like I've said this about Arsenal for like a hot minute and I don't mean to like prod, but like it is a thing with Arsenal where it's like they should score, but sometimes they just can't. And I never, I don't know why it happens. Uh, It wasn't a particularly great goalkeeping performance. It just, Arsenal just couldn't put enough pressure on Leicester to get one into the back of the net. Jamie Vardy steps on the pitch, scores a goal because that's what happens. Jamie Vardy steps on the pitch. Leicester had no actual forward like in the beginning of the match and they had a makeshift back three because they have a bunch of injuries. Honestly, the back three might be a thing they want to stick with because it didn't look that bad. Uh, but again, Lester relies on Jamie Vardy. It's, uh, I hate to make this the, the basketball academy, but it's becoming a bit LeBron-esque because it feels like they're kind of just relying on him to be the best, to be the dude who finishes the product. They have talent around him they just can't get it done without him being there to tell them what to do. And it's super confusing. But to suppose point, Brendan Rogers did a really good job of managing this game. And because he's a treble, treble, treble winner, I want to give some respect to him too. Mostly because of the trebles. Yes, Celtic. <laughs> I don't, I, I mean, yes, I'll take like fucking Steven Gerrard beating y'all out there. So shut up. We were going to talk about fucking up your. <laughs> Uh, backside, but I, I I don't quite agree about that Arsenal piece. I I think Arsenal have not looked convincing going forward this whole year. Uh, I think the West Ham game they like survived it, but I know the opponents have been terrible for them. But at some point, you need to see production from uh, the Aubameyangs and Lacazettes. Like Aubameyangs has not scored a goal since he signed the new contract, um, and I know that's like Arsenal fan TV stuff that we don't want to get down to, but it it could get problematic for Arsenal if their goals don't come. Because I think defensively they're doing some sort of a job, but like Leicester came in with a very easy game plan. They're like no space in behind us. And um, here you go. We'll let your defensive mid and your defenders have the ball. And like they could not do anything to penetrate. 
Yeah, well, especially once Louise went off with the injury, like there is, you know, you can say what you want about David Louise actually defending, but when he has the ball around the halfway line, he's an effective player with it. Like he can, he can make the advanced passes that uh, split lines and, and do the things to get Arsenal into a transition game. I, I mean, I think that's just what it is right now. Like Aubameyang just, He's playing maybe left wing back is the best way to describe how he's played the past few games. Like it, it's not as a forward. Like, it's just a lot of, he has a lot of defensive responsibility and I think that it shows like it's, it's really hampered his output and the entire team is just not creating anything. Like it would be one thing to talk about a bombing, not scoring goals. If Arsenal were still creating chances and a bombing just wasn't finishing them, but it's just they're not – no one on the team is creating any chances. And so until that changes, I don't know – you're just going to have a lot of results like this. Like I don't see Arsenal – for all the attacking talent that Arsenal have, it is difficult for me to see a path for them to score two goals in a match right now. I I think you'll get your fair share of goals uh, when you come to Old Trafford this weekend. Um, we will cover that and all the other games in the next podcast where we will preview all the games and give you the betting nuggets. So if you haven't, subscribe to our podcast so you can get all the details and what we think and how you can make some money. But I think Arsenal uh, have a lot to prove. Leicester are proving that they are not going to go away. And Brendan Rodgers is maybe some, uh, I guess, depends on how you look at him, uh, maybe deserves some a little bit more respect than he has gotten recently. But a team that I was very high on before the season started, a team that has disappointed me and very much disappointed me again today, are Brighton and Hove Albion played some beautiful football throughout the game and then just could not put West, uh, West uh, WBA away. And if you don't put teams away in the Premier League, at some point you're going to pay the price and Brighton ended up paying the price. 1-1, a game they should have won at home. They ended up losing West Brom's first uh, point of the season away from home. First home points for Brighton. Uh, Brayden, which team are you more optimistic about at this point? I don't know. I mean, I feel like this is another Brighton had a little bit of not bad luck, but you know, Mape had a goal called off. Um, but I just wasn't really that impressed by Brighton overall. Like, I think these are two teams that are not very good who played like two not very good teams. West Brom just kind of, I've been higher than most on West Brom. I feel like for this year and I, I didn't really see it this game. Like, this is a game that West Brom really needed to... Uh, like, they probably needed three points from this match, to be honest. Like, you, these are the types of games, if you want to stay up, you, you need to get three points from. And West Brom just didn't. Like, they never really mounted anything that I would say was a consistent attack. Um, Brighton might have been worse than that, but, I mean, they created a, they created a couple better chances and that that was kind of the difference in the game i I feel like like it's both of these teams were not very good and both of them got a deserved draw i see it a wee bit differently i think west Brom earned the draw here uh they did not look like they had much of anything going in the first half uh brighton looked like the team who was supposed to go out and boss this match and supposed to go out and win this uh Everything has to go through Trossard because he's one of the better players out there for them. Uh, we also know how I feel about Mafe, but we don't have to talk about that. Um, and everything did kind of go through Trossard in the beginning. Um, but West Brom came out in the second half, played a better match, and got a deserved goal for me. Uh, does this inspire anything for either one of these teams? No, it makes me feel a little bit less good about Brighton, to be completely honest, like I expected more from them and they have <clears throat> situational talent that I thought would do more in this match that didn't. But I think we're doing a disservice to West Brom here. You can even see it in the reaction. I, the I think you're doing disservice by calling them, uh, by telling them that Brighton have situational talent. Though. 
I really don't <laughs> think they have well, any of that. Like well, in terms of what you think of situational talent. But even then, I think was like this is where I'm gonna say we're bearing lead here. This is an earned point by West Brom. You can see it on the boys' faces after the match. You can see it on Bill's face after the match. That they they I don't know if it's gonna galvanize them and you can shop this up and make it look like an idiot in a week when it's wrong. But it seemed like they kind of had something they felt a little bit better about themselves coming out of the end of this. So I'm going to say good job, West Brom. And Brighton, you left me a little bit disappointed. I mean, they scored a late equalizer. And, like, fair enough. That's what you do when you score a late equalizer. You're glad to get something from the match. But I don't know that – I didn't I mean, think West Brom was is, that is good. Is it an earned point? Is it an earned point for them? Yes. They were down. They earned a point. But, like – in the grand scheme of things, I think Brighton are still better and results have to show for them. And this was a result that needed to show for them. And sadly it didn't. So I understand your point of view, Will, but at the end of the day, I think West Brom are still just a trash team. I think they'll have a hard time staying up regardless. So sorry to say that after uh, saying Village and his boys were smiling because it was a very good goal that they worked out to make sure they hey, did get the point. They can have a good day and still like not be good. Like be I don't, trash. I, yeah. I don't have any like hope for them, but it was a good day and maybe it'll do something like they looked happy. So I, I, I wanted to feel nice. Leave me alone. <laughs> Somebody that did look very happy uh, and did not end up being very happy were Burnley who were inching towards a point. And uh, again, a Harry Kane assist human song, goal in not the fashion that you would expect it to come um, headers from both of them uh, making it 1-0 well deserved win I would say for Tottenham um, where do you see them go? Uh, it's weird because I like going into this match I expected Tottenham and, and they did just that for long stretches of the match the hashtag Burnley Bog came back and they just kind of made Burnley make everyone look beige compared to them so they made Tottenham look uninspiring but Tottenham is a team I don't want to say that there was like they consistently inconsistent, and I mean that in a way of like they're going to be a very very good team but they're going to ship some games that just escape them they kind of remind me of uh the they remind me of lots of teams I've seen where they have a they have a they have the talent there. They can't gel together and they're going to lose some games to teams who don't deserve to beat them, but they're going to beat so many teams on that way that they're going to finish in the top four and people are going to forget about them. And then the next year they'll come up and beat title contenders. They're going to be hella inconsistent, but everyone's going to be hella inconsistent. Tottenham still look aside to like, that could be twosome. And I think we should probably acknowledge that um, as far as Burnley go beige. That's all I got. Beige. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's pretty fair overall. Like for Spurs, I think it's mostly just about anytime you play Burnley, I think you're just trying to get the result. Like, you know, they're going to play physical. You know, they're going to play tough. You know that they're going to try to, you know, get you on a set piece, which they almost did. Uh, Tarkowski had a, had a header off a corner uh, pretty late, but Maybe they could have uh, scored on an, on a different day, but I, they didn't get it done this day. And that's kind of what Burnley are doing this year. Is they're just really not like I I don't see much creativity from them. They have three goals scored so far in the season, which is tied for the lowest with Sheffield. And I just this Burnley team looks bad to me. I, I don't see how they're going to win many matches. I think I'll be able to draw several, but I, because you kind of saw it in this game, like they're able to keep it close with Spurs, but when it comes to having a little bit of quality to actually beat a team, when you have them on the ropes, they don't have it. Um, Spurs, like I said, the goal here is to get three points and they did that. And I don't, I don't think it warrants that much other discussion. I Spurs are Spurs. They outplayed them and fair play to them. I was looking at teams in terms of relegation uh, material 
And I think full on, uh, Fulham are full on uh, relegation material. Sheffield United are down there. West Brom uh, have been down there. And I look at Burnley now and it's kind of like, I have seen them make a comeback before. So I believe that they can make a comeback, but outside of it, not really a lot of faith in uh, Sean Dyche doing a lot in my opinion this season. So very, very interesting times ahead. I think this first international break is my timeline of when we will see the first manager fired. Do we have any predictions on who the first one's going to be? Braden, Will? Scott Parker. It's got to be Scott Parker, dude. <laughs> it's got to be Scott Parker. I'm so sorry, dude. But yeah, it's got to happen. I'll tell you what. Um, United lose to Leipzig, lose to Arsenal, lose away to Istanbul, and then lose to Everton. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer might be gone in four games. A lot of loses, but uh, I think we have been handed quite a few L's recently, so wouldn't be surprised. I think if you get more than plus 10,000 odds for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, you should take them as the first manager fired. Anyway, that brings us to an end of this review podcast. We will be back with the preview podcast later this week. We will give you some more betting nuggets. We will give you some more insights to what we think is going to happen in this upcoming week. That's it from the boys and myself. Subscribe and share. Thanks.